I'm Billy McGee, and you're listening to 18 Opportunities, a podcast on golf from the perspective of history, culture, science, and evolution. Together with my co-host, Drew Tambling, we explore why we love golf. For every round on the links is 18 little games, 18 fresh starts, 18 opportunities to shake off the failures of the past and embrace the good fortune of the present. We're here in this beautiful podcast studio in, in central Portland, and but why are we doing this? So the reason why we're doing 18 Opportunities podcast is twofold. One, I bought the URL 18 Opportunities in 2012. <laughs> first, I, first off, I, bu- I bought a, a web domain, so I'm kind of locked in. We yeah. got to do this. I bought this URL a long, long time ago after discovering- <laughs> You never told me that. <laughs> uh, discovering the book Concerning Golf by John Lowe in 2012. So I've actually been a bit of a golf nerd for a while. Concerning Golf by John Lowe, which was published in 1903, is this really amazing book by a kindred spirit. When I read his book, he was like one of the golfers that I played with growing up, you know, and I would talk to people of all different ages. One of the things that I appreciated from playing golf was when I was young, especially at the age of 13, my mom would drop me off at the golf course with a 20 and I would just golf all day. And that was basically drop me off at 7.30 in the morning and pick me up at like 6 p.m. at night. The golf course was basically my summer camp and I would play golf with old dudes in the morning, other kids in the afternoon, I would sit on the putting green and, you know, bet quarters. And I mean, that was just what I did. I was basically hanging out at the golf course almost 12 hours a day. It's like a summertime latchkey kid with privilege. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was a public course and it was like instead of camp. I mean, at the time. It was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. I can't, I I wish, I wish that I, the game was part of my life and I could have done stuff like that. I, my grew up, when I grew up summertimes, we spent at my family's summer home, which was on a lake in New Hampshire. And there was a public golf course literally right down the street. I could have like rode my bike or my skateboard down there. I could have spent the whole day there for years, years yeah. during the summer. I just, golf wasn't a part of my thing. I was playing summer baseball mostly. Yeah. Well, and that was, that was it really. There, Golf has always been something that for younger kids, you typically need to be exposed to it for some reason. I started golfing when I turned 11 years old. At the same time, I had been cut by my travel soccer team. And my mom got me golf clubs for my birthday as a consolation prize. Too physical of a sport for you? My time was ending with the team sport era. Mom was worried about CTE? 
No, no, I was cut. <laughs> I was not good enough to continue playing, and I was not. Shame. I, so I have this this real connection to the game related to, you know, my upbringing, and I was raised on the golf course in many ways because then I got one of my first jobs as a as a ball boy picking up the balls on the range mm. and I drove the cart we had sort of a makeshift one so it was all like a welded steel cage like it was not an official cage like, oh, like it, a range cage a range cage that was like <laughs> welded shut like a homemade welded shut range cage no. oh yeah and I would totally just take that Every now and then I would go out there and dare people to hit. Oh yeah. I would just drive straight in just like, you know, (laughs) bullets flying by me and just like totally like I would see a bunch of kids come in and they would get excited. Nature, right? Yeah. I would would like, I was like totally doing like duck hunt with them and just going back and forth. That like reminds me, I mean, we're trying to talk about why we're doing this. And one of the things that I think you and I share in the podcast that we love about golf is that they, they have some kind of a structure to them. Right. Um, and I think that that was kind of the idea that we discussed is like bringing a structure to this in a different way. And you had this great idea about 18 opportunities. You're talking about like whipping around in your, in your golf buggy on the range in one of your first experiences, uh, as an employee of a golf course, and it, and it makes me think about my nature of seeing somebody. It's just like every golfer. Anytime the ball boy goes out into the range, it becomes Pepper City, right? Yeah. And what is one of the things that, that we love most was it, we talk about in episode one, which is golf is a target game. Golf is a target game. Yeah. And sometimes that target is the, the snot-nosed uh, ball boy driving around the cart in the, in the range. Yeah. I mean, generally, <laughs> it, golf is not a moving target game, but it, it adds a lot of fun to it. And it makes a big noise, which you don't always get when you're out there playing <laughs> golf. I thought it was awesome. I mean, I loved it when I, I got, I mean, every now and then I would get spooked. But my music was on so loud, too, that I was just like blaring. They have headphones back then? I mean, they were like the soft, fuzzy it was a walkman. Like a walkman, yeah. It was a walkman, yeah. yeah. So so the intention is, right, that we that we take our listeners through these holes. So 18 Opportunities URL was purchased just because I thought the book was awesome and I and I knew I wanted to do something with it one day. Something with that name, yeah. Yeah. And in between then I bought another URL, uh Eastmoreland one hundred to celebrate the centennial because Eastmoreland is this historic track built by Chandler Egan here in Portland, Oregon. It is an amazing golf course uh, that was built uh, just before he went down to Pebble to redo Pebble Beach. I think he should get a lot more credit for Pebble. He doesn't get as much, and he's recently gotten more credit. But Eastmoreland was a really amazing track, and, and Chandler Egan was a very, very important golfer in the in the history of golf. He was Bobby Jones's mentor. So he recruited Bobby Jones to go play golf at Harvard, and he was the first golfer to ever win the NCAA and the USAM in the same year. So, so, So I went forward with that, and then one of my favorite authors came out with a podcast, and his name is Malcolm Gladwell, and that podcast is revisionist history and i listened to the first season 
And when the second season came out, I was all excited. And the first episode is called A Good Walk Spoiled. And then Malcolm Gladwell says this. It's about the problem with golf. I hate golf. And hopefully by the end of this, you'll hate golf too. <laughs> so, so is Malcolm Gladwell still one of your favorite authors? He is still one of my favorite authors. for your favorite sport. Well, I read about, I, I just saw a YouTube video uh, that was uh, republished of an interview he did with Colbert and uh, fairly recently. And he talked about why he was moving into podcasts as, you know, and Colbert was like, you're the only writer other than, you know, J.K. Rowling that can actually sell books. And he's like, you know, podcasts are a way that you can create more of an emotional experience for people. And I agree with him. Yeah. I think the tone of voice and the experience of, of having conversations in and telling stories is a beautiful thing. And when we golf... Golf really is a four and a half hour conversation or telling stories. I mean, when you golf with someone, you know a lot about them by the end of the round. It is it it's is inevitable. It is inevitable because what Malcolm is really frustrated with when he's talking about a good walk spoiled is he's looking at the Brentwood Country Club in Santa Monica and he sees the fences and he's seeing it as a runner from the path on the outside. And I know what he feels because when I was growing up, like where I grew up in, in Dutchess County, there was a Dutchess County country club, which was right on route nine. So it was, and, and it was right near the mall. So it was, we used to drive by it all the time. That golf course was sort of this mysterious thing that I never got to experience. In fact, I never will because it's closed now. They shut it down and they sold it. They you, weren't able to keep the membership going. Are you okay? You well, okay? one of the things that I really want to bring out in the 18 Opportunities podcast is understanding the intrinsic value of the game as well as the golf courses and the community and how they all come together. So there's a lot of podcasts out there that are focusing on the golf architecture side of things. And I'm into that a little bit. I'm really into the experience of golfing and being a golfer, and I appreciate good architecture as part of that experience, but it's not the only thing. I have mixed feelings when I listen, and I have. I've listened to a number of different podcasts where they interview famous, world-renowned architects of golf courses, and I feel like this. I feel like when I go to a golf course, I feel like I'm looking at a, at a painting, and I love looking at beautiful paintings. Yeah. But I'm really not that particularly interested in, you know, what kind of methodology Van Gogh used to paint a flower. I, I love looking at his painting. I love the result. Exactly. I think there's a difference between getting into the like the moving of the dirt and the the actual process of building a golf course versus the actual experience. The the issue is, is that without the architect nerding out the way they do about getting really good at their craft, you don't get the good experience as the golfer. What I really value is just being able to play. 
when I hear about a lot of great courses or like the Brentwood Country Club, that's not a course that's really relevant to me because access is denied. And it doesn't matter whether I'm a runner or I'm a golfer. It's not really something that's out there and available for a player like me. Look, I think this. I think that Malcolm Gladwell brings to surface a lot of the problems that golf really does have. But I think that Malcolm Gladwell, looking at the issues of golf and the economics of golf, specifically in a metropolitan area, um, one of the most highly populated places in America, by the way, um, I think the lens that he's looking at this stuff from tends to generalize the sport in its entirety and isn't really reflective on well, the totally. entire golf community. Totally. So These I problems wanna, that are happening in LA, they're, they're real things. Well, I want to speak to both of those real quick because one of his core challenges to golf was, well, you brought up a couple of things. You said it's the most populated area. He also mentions that it's about 200 acres to build a golf course. So it's a lot of land. Yeah, on average. There's on average. a lot of exceptions to and, that. And I bring up in the, the second hole, golf is made by the land, is that the game of golf evolved, as we talk about in the target game, from archery as well as other ball and club games. And it evolved in a very um, special place called the links, which were the only publicly available open space lands for the people of Scotland. And they were designated as public use. Yeah, and somewhere so somewhere along the they way, they were a public park. And and golf was essentially a game played in parks. When he's saying, "Oh, this should be a park," it's like, well, golf actually was a game built for a park. That is its origin. It's just that when you look fast forward into history and then you add other elements of, you know, American system and just the way we treat private property, things have evolved differently. And and on that point, it's really interesting too, because I looked in to research these golf courses, Brentwood Country Club, Beverly Hills Country Club. When these courses were made, it was like close to a hundred years ago. There weren't as many homes out there. It was a lot of open space back then. Mm -hmm. In other words, they built these courses in unpopulated areas, relatively unpopulated. At the time. At the time. Sure. It's just that and the world has grown. Them. And now they're like, how can we have a golf course here? It's like, well, if we didn't have a golf course, you wouldn't have any open space in this area. And so that actually goes into hole eight, which is golf is an ecosystem and it's in the wilderness. And then, and my experience with golf, so I bring in a couple of golfers that are in the Eastmoreland Men's Club, one of them who's a very prominent Audubon member and travels all over the world taking bird photos and works with the Mueller Bird Refugee here in Oregon. And he explains in detail, and he's shared such a love. I know so much about birds, and it's likely I may become like Jan by the time I'm his age. And I will inspire some younger person to start carrying binoculars in their golf bag and counting birds and looking at the birds while we play golf, too. Another thing about the land, too, that I wanted to talk about was, you know, one of Malcolm Gladwell's fundamental um, issues with golf courses in metropolitan areas is that they, the upper class, namely in his podcast, he talks about um, 
He talks about Bob Hope, people like Bing Crosby, and how back in the day, they gamed the system so that golf courses like the Beverly Hills Country Club or the Brentwood Country Club could survive. Because we get special tracks treatment been, and tax they, breaks. Exactly. It, it, they, they basically avoid millions and millions of dollars of annual tax revenue uh, or, or, you know, they, they dodge taxes, basically, because right. they've been designated as public parks, even though they're actually private facilities that cost a buttload. Well, they're of not designated public parks. Most golf courses they're are... They're taxed like public parks. Well, they're no, they're not taxed like public parks. Usually, they're... So he, you're talking about two different things. So golf courses are oftentimes uh, designated as agricultural land. So right. farming land. Yes, that's what he actually that's says. When he, he says, refers to vegetable gardens, <laughs> yes. really a golf course ends up getting characterized as agricultural land, which has the lowest tax level of any land use other than they are an ecosystem, right? If it's wetlands and whatnot. So one of the things that I was curious about, and we'd have to do some research on this, and I'm wondering if other sports have survived through this transition as well. So for example... Baseball's a really old sport, requires a pitch of land that's, you know, probably the size of a city block, right? Have there been, maybe specifically in the Los Angeles County, examples of baseball fields that were built in the early uh, 20th been... century or late 19th century that needed to be designated as agricultural lands so that they could survive, like Little yeah. League fields, stuff like that. I mean, I think most of those are actually owned by the city, or they truly are a public park. So in other words, you're not going to have a lot of privately funded baseball fields because those baseball fields aren't in any way profitable. You need to subsidize them with taxes or uh, donations or volunteerism to even keep them taken care of. Golf courses, interestingly enough, like the Eastmoreland golf course that was built here and then later grew to many other golf courses was unique in that it was self-funded. Once it got started, the golf course revenues from greens fees in many golf courses are sufficient to take care of it. Now, a lot of public municipal golf courses are running into financial challenges. This is a topic, by the way, that is trending out there in the golf podcast world, and it should be because many of us are grew up in these golf courses, just like many of the PGA players did. And it's essential that these courses and that golf has a better PR plan on how to really grow the game, not have a tagline about growing the game, but treat growing the game like we treat our gin and get it done and not, and not take any excuses for why we haven't been able to reach more people. Malcolm Gladwell really reaches a giant audience and there's a giant audience of people out there that believes in Malcolm. And when he says he hates golf and so should you, there was a lot of people out there that need a podcast that's gonna take this head on. For every celebrity story, there are countless stories of working class people where golf is their refuge, a passion, 
which takes them away into a serene natural world where we trek through open plains, up the ridges and around the dog legs with a bag of tools on our back. Hitting little balls to a distant target, we hunt through the woods and bushes for misplaced shots. And on finding the ball, send them to the manicured green and with a delicate touch, roll the ball into the hole with pinpoint accuracy. Then we do it all over again, 18 times in a row, seeking the opportunity for greatness in the fresh outdoors. Malcolm, the problems that you highlight related to private country clubs are worthy of attention. However, 75% of golf courses here in the United States, more than 11,000 of them are open to the public. And as a member of a municipal golf course club, like the ones here in Portland that have running paths, those are the courses most at risk. Those are the golf courses that are most likely victims of your ire that will be referenced by politicians who seek to turn those golf courses not into public parks, but into big box stores or industrial warehouses. And it's all because all golfers get lumped into one bucket. Just in terms of some numbers and statistics, there are 23.8 million total golfers in the United States. 25% of them earn more than $125,000 a year. However, an equal number of approximately 25% earn less than $49,000 a year. Of those 23.8 million golfers, 24% are women and 19% are people of color. Golfers represent the tapestry of America in nearly equal proportions. Not entirely. There is a very clear difference between men and women. And that's something that 18 Opportunities will talk about with women to better understand what those differences are, how to appreciate them. So this is an open invitation to explore the 18 reasons why we love golf. A philosophical response to your core assumption in a good walk spoiled that golf is not a worthy game and shouldn't ultimately exist. So we are going to explore golf from a perspective of history, culture, science, and evolution and demonstrate how playing golf can illuminate what it means to be human. This is an open invitation. Open invitation. Uh, after Come we do the us. 18 holes, the first hole is golf as a target game as an evolution of other ball and stick games like shinty and kolf and junamal 
and how that combined with archery uh, led to the beginning of golf. The second hole is called Golf is Made by the Land because the land itself, the links of Scotland, were an essential element. And everything that we know about golf today is really just a recreation of the Scottish links in the mind's eye and in the experience, including the bunkers. Number three, golf is competition. The origin of golf is about one-on-one or two-on-two match play. Golf was always designed to be a game uh, that involves making a wager. So it was about betting. Number four, golf is a ball game. I think golf is very unique as a ball game, and the evolution of the golf ball was so critical to the history of the game. And the ball itself is a very unique object in terms of humanity. I mean, we make balls, we play with balls. I guess dogs like balls too, and animals do too, but they didn't really exist until humans came along to make them. And create a purpose for them. And create a purpose for and them. A lot, and most of those purposes are sport. Exactly. <laughs> and I feel that golf, in relation to any other game, is like the ultimate physics engine in terms of how the ball is going to react. I get that, you know, basketball is really cool and, and, and you can do a lot of things with soccer, but the things that golfers can do with golf balls goes so far beyond what any other sport can do with their ball in terms of shape it, make it do different things, have different kinds of shots, and ultimately the velocity of, 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 the, of the shots themselves. Next is similar to that, the golf is a game of tools. We make tools, we create tools, and the clubs themselves are, are were grew out of just the idea of like, I have a different shot, I need a different tool. And so it's very much a game of tools. And that explosion of technology is super interesting to me. And then we have the rules. So once you have a match and you've got the ball and you've got your tools, you need a way to have a, sim, a set of rules, which is going to be agreeable so people can have a legitimate match and make a wager. And so the golf rules are designed for that purpose. And what's unique about them is that they're self-governed. You know, ultimately, match play means your your opponent was always there to kind of keep your eye on the rules. But in ultimately, it's really it's a non-referee type of game. Then golf is a community organized in clubs. And this is another key component of what makes golf and why it's grown so much is that golf is a game, but it's also about the club and it's about getting together with friends and having a drink and telling stories after the round. Golf is an ecosystem where you go out and experience wildlife. As Drew knows, I mean, I should play a cut of like, you should, you know, send me that video you took of that bald eagle at Heron, you know, or, yeah. or you know, the ducks that we take pictures of or the hummingbirds that we see in the summer. I mean, there is so much wildlife that I've experienced. I've experienced more wildlife on a golf course. And we had an amazing conversation about all the animals that you've seen in Asia. No, the bats. The bats. Yeah. The bats. Well, they're flying foxes. Flying foxes. Yeah. Yeah. Set up the ninth hole and we'll call that, the, we'll call that the turn. Yeah. I'd like to talk about this, this, this front nine. Okay. Yeah. And then the ninth hole is actually a surprise. So I'm not going to give the ninth hole away now. It is a synthesis of all the prior eight holes in terms of really looking at golf through the lens of history, 
culture, science, and evolution. And then I'm going to get to the ninth hole, and that is going to summarize really the relationship of golf to our world. How does golf fit into the human world? I think, honestly, looking at this, I think the front nine should be season one, right? And then we make the turn. We could do, honestly, if we did one, like one, one hole in like two, like segment sessions between each hole, that's a, that's a lot of content. It's like almost 30 podcasts. We've done a lot of content. We're actually producing content at a pretty rapid pace. It's actually been surprising because like when we did the golf is a ball game, it took us two episodes and we barely got out of the 1960s. Yeah, You know, I mean, it was, it was, we never did get to the modern era of golf balls with that history because it is so rich and so complex and there's so many stories in that. Well, and predating the 1960s is really kind of the stuff that nobody really knows about. Right, right. So we focused most of it. The first episode doesn't, it it doesn't even get us through the gutty era. It's basically the end of the gutty. So I wanted to talk about this front nine and like what it means to me. Sure. And Go for it. Why I think it's cool, right? Why I'm sitting here in this chair. I think what's cool is that I consume a hell of a lot of golf content, right? I watch the tour. I listen to probably half a dozen different podcasts on a fairly regular basis. I read books about golf and about the sport. And I just, I, I love consuming golf content, but I feel like what's available out there is missing this kind of stuff. I want to learn more about the sport in a meaningful way, but also connect it to my love for the sport. And if we want to sit around and listen to people uh, talk about the current state of the tour and all the drama that's happening on the tour and whose swing is the sweetest this week, like there is no shortage of content that's out there. If that's what you're looking for, this isn't really the podcast for you. Yeah, we're not going to be talking. We'll reference the tour like, you know, we mentioned today when there's a tour event, we'll bring it up because we're golfers and we're fans. I value the tour and I value the PGA players. The more you golf, the more you have such a deep respect for it's why we adore our pros. I think more than any other sport football fans love football players, but they also get really down on them and like they're, Oh, he screwed up and he's bad at this. That bothers me when I listen to it on the PGA Tour because if I don't rope ho- rope hook like a drive into the ocean at Pebble, I'll be happy. <laughs> I am not going to like not expect that to happen when I'm sitting there facing a couple yeah. of those shots. You know, when I play Pacific, there's a few holes out there that the drives, they give you the feels, but they also give you the, the whammies. You're just like, exactly. oh, dude, like... I just got to get this in I'd the say, fairway. I'd say the product that the PGA puts out there gives us an awareness of where the highest level of talent exists, and it gives you an appreciation, a different kind of appreciation for the game. You know, I love watching the PGA at night. So, because I'm on the West Coast, so when I when they do the replay, I like watching it at night. Yeah, that's sweet. I mean, that's my favorite thing to do at night. So I don't watch golf during the day. I never watch the tournaments when they're live. Occasionally ever. on a weekend, like if I'm yeah, I mean, if it's the like house. the if it's a major, I'll watch it if it's in contention. But even totally. then, I mean, when the British Open was happening, that was exciting. You know, we were listening to it on the radio while we were golfing. But, you know, we were golfing. 
Yeah. I mean, I still play when those events happen. It's not going to interrupt my game. What I'm hoping to do is bring in more of the golf stories of just the golfers like us and potentially like you. And so one of the things that I've also said is that if, if there are golf stories, one of the things you'll hear in the 18 Opportunities podcast is what's going in the bag. I interview a colleague of mine, Brian, who is a 3-3 and literally has played only two sets of clubs his entire life and he's in his 50s. <laughs> That's he played Golden Rams by Tom Wapson circa 1982. For like 30 years. For 20 years. <laughs> And then he he met a mini tour player who gave up a set of DCIB blades, and he's been playing those for twenty since years. Since the late '80s, right? So, no, since ninety ninety seven or so. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, yeah. And he's like, More "Oh, my driver's years? new." I was like, "Oh, what's your on your driver?" He's like, "An R eleven." I was like, like "Dude, the R eleven is like nine years old. <laughs> yeah. That's not even cl- like that's that's like two I'm, generations away of like technology, even three generations." I had away. an R eleven. I had an R eleven. R eleven was a Great club. That sure. was an awesome. That was my first driver. I still I have ever it. Bought. It's in my garage. It's my, it's my first practice driver. club. It's my first driver I ever bought, and that might have been in 2011. Yeah, 2011. Have you seen the photo of me? In two thousand what? No, no, no. Have you seen this photo? It's on. So we've got the Instagram. So 1800s podcast. That is oh me. My God. Check out the club that I've got though. Zoom in on that. So I'm wearing a hat just like Tiger. It doesn't look like you at all. Well, I mean, it looks kind of like me. It's just a thin It doesn't look like you at all. I've got the pleated pants. That's like totally Tiger. So Tiger wore a hat just like that a couple years later when he won the Is this a TaylorMade? That's a TaylorMade original one. The original one. Oh, my gosh. I had one of those in my hands today when I was at Golf Galaxy. I actually like yeah. a remake of it. Yeah, the new one. They yeah, just, yeah. They just, they just. So that's an original. That it. is the original one. That was my driver in high school. That's what I played with. Wow. That was a hand-me-down. Oh, My like uncle a, gave it like to me. It's like a three-wood now. I mean, I think the burner had come out right around that time, so it was like six years old when I was playing it. Wow. But what year is that? That is 1991. Wow. Wow, you've got a nice follow-through there. You, you cannot move like that anymore. <laughs> you cannot. That's a, that's a great pose. I don't think I've ever seen you hold a pose like that, ever. <laughs> what do you think of those shoes, too, by the way? What are they? Those like, are the classic FootJoy wing. Those are like Jason Thomas's, yeah. Yeah, Justin Thomas still <laughs> Justin wears Tom- those. Yeah. Justin Thomas rocks those. Yeah, I mean, it's like, <clears throat> I mean, that was... I what... got Jason Day on my mind. He was like in contention Yeah, he was today. playing good today. How do you want to wrap this up? Yeah, so basically, 18 Opportunities podcast is a 18-hole journey in which I, with Drew and others, will outline a structure, basically an argument, to Malcolm Gladwell for him to reconsider his hatred of golf. And my hope is on the 19th hole, he might join us here in the studio or by phone and have a conversation about golf and how golf is actually a very meaningful game and an integral part of human history and development. We might get steamrolled. Wait, like if if we ever had Malcolm Gladwell in here, 
uh, he, we might try to present some evidence to him or we need some pops. We might, we might need to come, <laughs> we'll come lit, you know, like ready to, ready I can to handle, go. I can handle it. I'm sure that you can. I and can I'm sure that it. I can too, but, but we might get steamrolled by Malcolm Gladwell. I mean, I, he isn't who he is because he's an idiot. And I agree in principle with all the things that he said related to tax law. And also I agree in principle that golf's one of the singular most biggest challenges that golf have right now is the the bifurcation of the pro game and the amateur game but also the private game and the public game but now the resort private game and the public game so in other words yeah all these architects are building all these amazing courses and i do go to play bandon but like i still haven't played tethro because i just don't want to drop 250 bucks yeah golf it's always going to have some elements of that, of access and money, but I would also like to see golf as a community start to consider how to create more access and how to truly grow the game. I do think that Malcolm Gladwell went on his journey of a good walk spoiled in part because he had an agenda. I do think, and not so subtly does he No, I think he hates golf. I don't think he's kidding. Oh, I think he hates Trump. And he very, very directly makes a correlation between who Bob Hope was in the day. But I also know who Donald Trump is today. He loves Obama, and I love Obama. Who doesn't love Obama? Obama? I love Obama, and, and I loved when Obama gave up basketball to golf just like a lot of basketball players have to do because they're going to blow their Achilles after 40. Sure. They can't play. You cannot play basketball. And that's one of the other. So that actually gets into the back nine. The back nine is all about how golf as a physical activity, as a sport, as like a lifelong hobby is just awesome. How many it's sports? Awesome. How it's many why sports, you like, play until you die. How many sports and hobbies uh, actually force you to engage with nature? Yeah. The way that golf does, yeah, or force you to be humble. Sure. It is like, they, like we're we are all human in the face of this game, and yeah. and it and it reveals our weaknesses just as much as it gives us, you know, the opportunities to be heroes. So, Drew, thank you, and hopefully we have a lot on this tape. Oh, I actually think I think that this is great. I'm really looking forward to doing this. It's going to be a really fun journey. And uh, I love the concept. It's just going to be a good time. That's right. So I hope you can join us uh, for the 18 Opportunities podcast as we explore the 18 reasons why we love golf and so should you. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and be part of the conversation. Drew and I love to talk and we are looking for golf stories and other like-minded people. And if that is you then, you know, shoot us a line, shoot us a comment. This podcast is for you as much as it is for us. So thanks. For every round on the links is 18 little games, 18 fresh starts, 18 opportunities to shake off the failures of the past and embrace the good fortune of the present.